I love fall. This is my favorite time of year. And growing up in Ohio, fall means football. If you come to my house on a Saturday, anytime, morning through night, if people are awake and I'm actually at home, ESPN is on in the background with whatever game is going on for whatever we're doing in the house. And my family has had to adjust to the fact that we are a football family. Now, when I say we are a football family, I need to explain something. I'm a fan. My wife is nuts. Don't believe me? Come to my house on a Saturday and you will see it. So because we're a football family, my family has had to adjust. For example, when I want my team together, I say two words. I say, huddle up. In my house, seven people scattered all over. I say, huddle up. That means it's dinner time. Come together. We'll be in a crowd, we'll be in a room like this, or we'll be at something like conference. People are scattered everywhere, and I can't find them. Just so huddle up. And so we separate ourselves from wherever we are, and we all come together, the seven of us, usually so that we can go somewhere else. We know how to huddle up. And I think that is a great picture of the church. It definitely described my home church. The church where I grew up was a place where we knew how to huddle. Let me tell you about my home church. We had a lot of fun. Oh, and by the way, that often involved eating. And in the Christian community, we call that fellowship. We would go on hayrides, and and we would camp, and we would play pranks on each other. By the way, there was no age limit on the pranks. You have never lived until you have had a 60-something play a prank on you in a tent. But that was my home church. We knew how to have fun. One time, we went camping over Labor Day weekend. And it was two men in the church, me and two of my buddies, so five of us. And we got in this minivan, and we just took the first bench seat and the two front seats, and we took everything else out of the van. And we had like a tent and not much other gear. The rest of that thing was packed with food for a three-day trip. And we brought the van back mostly empty. We just loved being together. And as I read through the New Testament, I think that Jesus loved to huddle with his disciples. I find it significant that in one of the most important nights in history, Jesus gathered his friends together for a meal. Come out from the world. Just you be with me. Just this small group. And I want to spend some time in the familiar passage today. It's in John chapter 13. If you want to open your Bibles, go ahead. I'll probably start reading before you get there. But in John chapter 13, we have one of these huddles with Jesus and his disciples. And this is how it begins. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. During supper, and I want to pause there. He got them together and they had a meal together. And so much of this important theology takes place during supper. Luke tells us that he greatly desired to be there in this setting. I think that Jesus really loved being with these people. Let me go back to my home church. We would not just have fun away from church. We had fun at church. 
during church. You see, as teenagers, we all sat in the back pew. You may have to look up what a pew is. We sat in the back pew all together, and we would, and we would sing, and we would sing out of this hymnal. But we also had this game that we played with each other, and you got your hymnal open, and you're singing, and because we were all trying to be manly, you tried to have it open with one hand, and somebody would inevitably try to sneak up beside you and hit it. And your goal was not to drop it because that made a lot of noise and we'd all get in trouble. So we're at church, you know, paying attention and learning about Jesus and reading our Bible, mostly. But also, you know, having fun together and going. But we did sing together. In my church, we'd gather for food, we'd gather for fun, and we'd have a good time. But we were not to be known for our fun or even our fellowship. We were also good at singing. We knew these hymnals well. We knew the hymn numbers. In fact, I just did a quick test this morning on five of them that I thought I knew, and I got them all. I know that Joy to the World is number 88, and that's where the Christmas songs are. I know that How Great Thou Art is number 34. My, I know that number 330 is There's Power in the Blood. How do I know that? Because when my dad sang it, he would replace every power with four powers. And if you've never done that, it's quite a bit of fun. I also know that hymn number 470 in this hymnal is Wonderful Grace of Jesus. And I know that for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is on Sunday nights, we used to have a You Pick 'em night, and you could just call out the hymn you wanted sung, and we would sing it. And my mom usually played the piano, and I usually picked this hymn, and my mom didn't like me very well on those nights because in this hymnal, Wonderful Grace of Jesus has five flats. If you're a piano player, you know that's bad, and mom would tell me that every time, but I'd sing it anyway. Because I like to sing this song because we didn't just know the hymns and the hymn numbers, we knew the parts. We knew soprano, you know, melody, we knew alto, and we knew bass. There were no tenors where I grew up. <laughs> and I know the bass line, A Wonderful Grace of Jesus, because I grew up in a church where we sang. And my dad used to say, at the church where I grew up, eight out of ten people could sing, and the other two liked to sing. I won't tell you which category I was in. There's something about huddling together with God's people and singing words together back to God. And oftentimes, we're singing God's own words back to him. And I love what Rich Mullen said. It's the finest thing I've ever found. Paul tells us to greet one another with singing. He does that in both Ephesians and Colossians, both books where we can learn powerful things about how we get along in the church. And Jesus sang with his friends when they huddled together. In John chapter 13, they're huddled together on a most important night. And Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus led them in singing a hymn before they left the upper room for the Garden of Gethsemane. In my home church, we were good at singing, but we are not to be known for our singing. Now, it wasn't just any songs, because the songs had to be true. They had to be doctrinally correct. And if you think I'm exaggerating about this, at one point in 1988, we got new hymnals. And we would go to the copier, because we had just replaced the mimeograph, don't ask me to explain that, and we made copies of new words and different songs that we pasted over theologically questionable hymns and readings. Because we needed to be pure in our doctrine. I grew up in a small town, 
And in my small town, everybody knew Jesus, but my church was different from everyone else. It's like we pulled out of the larger group and we huddled together. You see, we grew up learning the books of the Bible and learning things about the kings of Israel. We understood that if it was in the Bible, you ought to know it. We knew our Bibles better, and we certainly thought we followed our Bibles better than everyone else. I've often been told that I am very conservative in my view of the Bible. That's not a political statement. But I'm very conservative in my view of the Bible. That means I take it at face value, and I take it literally. There are some churches that I've served were Christian friends of mine, people who graduated from Bible college with me, could not serve at these churches because they simply weren't conservative enough. And I've been told by the elders of some of these churches that I'm liberal. You probably should have laughed at that, if not spent some time getting to know me a little better. (laughs) But I'm conservative enough to teach at BBC. And in this room, there are probably people who want to yell amen because you're good conservatives, and some who cringe just a little bit because that same mentality can lead us to becoming legalists. But did you hear Mr. Herod say last week, let's do it a little bit differently than the Pharisees did? But Jesus also emphasized true biblical doctrine. And in fact, he does so in this huddle in John chapter 13. In speaking of the betrayer, speaking of Judas in the same meal, in verse 18 he says, but the scripture will be fulfilled. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus emphasized that belief is based on handling scripture correctly. In the very next verse, he gives us this heavy theology that belief in Jesus is revealed through the cross. And on this most important meal, in this most important huddle, he reminds them that the keys to theology, who Jesus is and what he has come to do, are revealed in the Bible. In Acts, as Jesus' church is huddling, one of the things they huddled around was teaching. The apostles' teaching about who Jesus was as revealed in the Bible. In my home church, we were true in our doctrine but we were not to be known for our doctrine. We didn't just study. We were pretty good at service. If you wanted something done, you called us. Clean out your barn, build a shed, paint, mow. We would just show up and do it. Why? That's something we all learned from our dads. We were pretty good at service, but we are not to be known for our service. In John 13, service is a huge part of their gathering. It's central. In this most important huddle, they had a meal, they sang, they talked about the truth of the Bible, but he wanted them to get something else. And so you go down to verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I received this bowl when I graduated from Lincoln Christian Seminary. As a reminder of what Jesus said in John chapter 13. But I've got to tell you the concept of foot washing makes me uncomfortable. 
But my question for us today is, are we more uncomfortable serving one another within the church? We're taught about service. Servant, servant leadership is the model for leadership in the church, in schools, in businesses. That information is out there. Elon Musk knows that if he doesn't do a certain amount for charity, his name looks bad. We're taught clearly to love and serve others. But I often feel like the church is criticized from without and within if that service is not directed toward outsiders only. William Temple, the second generation Archbishop of Canterbury, is credited with saying, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. What if that's not the whole story? What if when Jesus said, well, let me just read it from John 13, verse 12, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Can I read that again? For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What if when he said those words, he meant more than washing feet or even more than servant leadership? I believe that my home church did great in teaching me about fellowship and about singing and about doctrine and about service. But sometimes we are told that those things are less important than evangelism and forgiveness and just loving others. But I wonder if we're told that by the Bible or by social media. It's a little white church building in Fort Recovery, Ohio, where my mom was baptized, where my mom and dad were married, where I was baptized, or I guess I should say there was until about a year ago, because about a year ago they tore it down. What is it that the people who met in that building and huddled together should be known for long after that building is gone? What will last? What if there is something that is even more important than fellowship and singing and doctrine and service? Please listen to me. I'm not saying those things do not matter because they absolutely matter. I find hints of all four of those in the upper room. I find overt statements about all four of those things throughout the New Testament, including the group that huddles in Acts chapter 2 that we call the church, the ones who are called out. But Jesus says that when it comes to that which identifies us 
as being called out, there is one thing that must outshine everything else. But before I get there, I want to tell you one more story about one of these conservative churches that I served. We had just built a new building. And about the time the building was completed, the people in the church basically decided they didn't have to be nice to each other anymore. So one Sunday night, I experimented with teaching my first ever inductive lesson. So I came out with a flip chart and I asked the question, what is this church known for? And I simply wrote down the answers without comment. And so we got some good answers, community service, singing, our nice building. And then we started getting down to the nitty gritty, be known for our Bible doctrine, the fact that we're against, well, I'm not going to give you the whole list of things that we were against, but it was long. And then this had been going on for quite a while, and one of the elders' wives was getting pretty frustrated because the first two things on the list were not baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, I do need to tell you that I had no problem with anything on that list. They were all good things. They were all important elements. And some of them are absolutely essential, and the New Testament makes that clear. The rest of them are useful, even if they're not essential. But not one thing on that list is what Jesus said we are to be known for. Let's go back to John chapter 13. It opens this way. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He washes their feet. They share a meal. He explains about the betrayer and the price that he himself will pay for them. And they even sing together. And then Jesus, on this night of nights, says this. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not a suggestion. It's a new command. It's not something Jesus did often. He regularly referred to the old commands, so the new one is a big deal. It's no small thing. In fact, he talks about it more as they leave the upper room, as they're on the way to the garden. Read chapter 15. Read it carefully. Later in 1 John, this same author will talk to a mature church, and he will just hammer this point home over and over again, that Jesus commanded us to love one another. And I think what he's saying there is in the church. The new command is to love each other. Love one another. That's what we're to be known for. Trust me, I'm not saying those other things are unimportant. I love those other things. But dare I say that I think Jesus made one thing most important in what we are known for, and that's how we take care of each other. Is it possible that when Jesus said, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you, it is about more than foot washing, but also loving one another? 
Treat one another as I have treated you. Love one another as I have loved you. Wait, that's exactly how he said it in verse 34. What if we huddled first and then we ran the play? What if we emphasized how we take care of each other first? And then those of us who are called out from the world will have the strength to go live for the world. But slow down. Can I challenge you this semester, we take care of each other first? And let me tell you why. I think Jesus taught it, and I can't survive without it. My family's been through some hard, especially in the last few years, and every time we have, the church shows up. A little over a month ago, my wife broke her jaw, and the church just started showing up. They just started showing up with food, which made my life a whole lot easier. They loved us. And then I was better able to serve the church. And so over Labor Day weekend, I had a trip that I'd been planning for almost 18 months. I went to Montana where I was supposed to preach seven times in three days. But when I arrived there, I realized that that group had just, less than 24 hours earlier, gone through a major tragedy. What if I was better able to help that group love one another, which they so desperately needed, because the church here had loved me here? I don't think I could have done it otherwise. What if, as a result of this, many more people will come to know the truth of who Jesus is because all of this loving that has happened within the church? And what if all of those people gather together to sing back to him. Are you starting to see how the cycle might work? If we start by loving one another. Do you hear that Jesus on this night of nights made it the point to remind us to love one another and he said that is the one thing we should be known for. That all men would know us by our love for each other and dare I say, in the church first. Love each other. Love each other. In Acts 2, they huddled and they took care of each other and they grew. Not at the expense of loving each other. Is it possible that they grew because they loved each other? Church, family, huddle up. Sing, teach, serve, have fun, but mostly let's love one another. When hurting, Love one another. When struggling, love one another. When celebrating, love one another. Read 1 Corinthians 12. Mr. Herod said that we will travel the world in Jesus' name. But may that be a result of us huddling in Jesus' name first. Can we start as a body by being different? By having more in common with each other than with everyone else who binge watches Stranger Things? Can we start by showing actual love for each other instead of complaining? Can we, can we celebrate God's love for us, whether it's sloppy wet or unforeseen? I didn't ask Josh to do that song. Can we start with loving one another? If you know this, will you sing it?
We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know. For one another first.